Hey, homies. I'm Katie. I'm Sydney. And this is Something Sick. Um, to all our listeners, I just want you to know that after our intro every time, <laughs> we sing a little song. <laughs> For wherever our theme, theme song songs. goes. Yeah. But you will never hear it. <laughs> Someday, if you join our Patreon, <laughs> they get to hear just two notes song yeah. that I sing yeah. every time. Yep. I'd be really glad yep. to have that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. Great. Okay. It's going to go well. Yep. Sydney, how's your day been? <laughs> I have been up for approximately 16 hours and Gross. it is only 7 p.m. Um, so it's been a long day, but it's okay. Um, everyone comment below if we should get bangs, both of us, in the next two weeks. <laughs> Sorry, Sydney's getting your hair cut. <laughs> I'm not getting bangs again. Oh, I might. I don't know. I Not my sister should. bangs. You no. should do it. I also like how you said comment below. Like where are they on Podbean? <laughs> I don't know. On our Instagram post. Comment just wherever. Email us. Sorry. Just tweet into the universe. <laughs> this is so random. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys should tweet yes or no, but not reply to us. Just tweet yes or no. <laughs> yeah, sure. Do that. Sorry. <laughs> this is a mess i'm so sorry should i yeah should i just dive into it yeah what are we talking about (laughs) great the case i'm going to be talking about today goes by many names um but most people know it as the summerton man or the tomum should case the what (laughs) tomum should okay it's t-a-m-a-m but some people say it's t-a-m-a-n and that is not correct so how dare they how dare they (laughs) But um, this case was requested, like, probably a few months ago now by our friend Callista. Callista Gein. Shout out to our friend Callista. This Callista. episode is dedicated to you. Also, I said her last name, like, Ed Gein. And it's <laughs> it's Ed not. Callista Gein. <laughs> not, not. Sorry, Callista. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be honest. Before I researched this case, I wasn't super interested in it. Yeah. I was just kind of like... I've heard eh. it. I don't know. Like, I think mostly I just watched the BuzzFeed Unsolved yeah. about it. I don't know. Like, John and Jane Doe cases are interesting to me, but, yeah. like, there's so many questions that I think that I was just like, I don't know. But then I started researching it, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Now <laughs> yeah, you know why Calista likes it. Yes. This case, like I said, if you didn't figure it out already, is a John Doe case, and it happened in Adelaide, Australia, specifically on Summerton Beach near Glen Elg. And a fun fact for our listeners <laughs> is before we started this podcast, before our Waverly episode, <laughs> we recorded a practice episode. It was so bad. We used our <laughs> Apple headphones as microphones. And it was really just for us to learn what it was like to like talk like this but you'll never hear it because it sounds so bad (laughs) maybe i'll cover the case again sometime but i covered i told katie about the case of the beaumont children which also happened at glen elg so i just think that's very fascinating that two unsolved cases happened in the same area yes just very interesting tell us what year the beaumont children happened. beaumont children was 1966 okay and tom should is 1948 okay it's like 
a little. two decades in there. Yeah. So November 30th, 1948, it was about to be the start of summer for Australia, which always confuses me. Wait, what month again? You November. November. November 30th. That's just weird to me. Right before Christmas. Yeah. So it's the start of summer for Australia. And a local jeweler named John Bain Lyons was walking along the beach with his wife around 7 p.m. And they're walking along Somerton Beach, walking north towards Glenelg. And about 20 yards away from them, they see a guy laying on the beach with his head like propped up on a seawall. And it's not really like a wall it's really just like a bunch of big rocks okay so he's like propped up against like a rock basically Mm -hmm. and he was wearing a suit and tie with like immaculately shined shoes and as they watched him he like raised his right arm like vertically into the air and then dropped it back by his side i do that (laughs) you do actually (laughs) katie does just stick my arm up do weird things with her arms but the two thought it was kind of weird but they thought maybe he was just like a drunk guy and that he was like trying to like smoke a cigarette or something Mm. so they just kind of thought nothing of it looking back i think that he could have been trying to get their attention or something well that would make sense so I don't know. Around an hour later, so probably around 8 p.m., a different couple, Gordon Straps and Olive Neal, also noticed the man. But this time, he wasn't moving at all. Uh, they um, also thought that he was probably drunk and that he was just passed out at this point. Um, and the boyfriend noted that the man had a bunch of mosquitoes around his face and uh, joked that he must be dead to the world to not notice them. Well, if you think someone's dead to the world, maybe Like, call someone. Yeah. So, the next morning, on December 1st, two young jockeys were riding their horses on the beach when they saw the man slumped against the wall. And also, at least one of these boys was, like, 16. They were so young, and I feel really bad for them. I never want to see a dead body. No. The man was laid flat with his head still propped against the wall. His feet were crossed, and he had a half-smoked cigarette on his collar as if it was had just, like, fallen out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. and he was dead at this point very clearly dead yikes so the police and me were called obviously finally finally <laughs> the man's body arrived at the royal adelaide hospital um and they started to investigate who this man was and i will note that over time there were several quote-unquote identifications of the man but for whatever reason they all ended up being untrue The first one was the Adelaide newspaper put out an article on December 2nd identifying this man as E.C. Johnson. And E.C. Johnson later walked into the police station and was like, I'm not dead. That's not me. Hello. So like that kept happening. Just different people would be like, oh, I think it's this guy. I hope no one I ever know. It's like I died and I'm still alive. It must be so weird. People that like hear like famous people that like hear that they died. Yeah. Like that's so weird. He was like, I'm good. Hi. So I'm EC, (laughs) extra credit. (laughs) Sorry. So a little bit about the man. The coroner believed him to be around 40 to 45 years old. He had grayish eyes and was around 5'11". He was fit and seemed to be athletic with broad broad shoulders and a narrow waist. He had Dorito. (laughs) I literally wrote in my notes. Dorito. Dorito bod because I knew you would also think that. So... I don't even know where that came from. Chris Evans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I always think of as Chris Evans. Mm, I don't think I think of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a triangle. Yeah. 
And I always think of our friend Ellie. One time I, I made a comment about a Dorito bot and she asked which way the triangle was, oh, yeah. was facing. <laughs> Love you, Ellie. I guess it could be either way, but... I guess it could, yeah. I mean... So, broad shoulders, narrow waist. Broad. <laughs> Bra- I said broad. I'm sorry. Um, his hair was well-groomed and it was blonde or ginger. Okay. But starting to gray. And his clothes were in really good condition. He had shaved recently and he was missing a few teeth. Um, they put his time of death around 2 a.m. with a likely cause of death as heart failure with suspected poisoning. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a woman. Hmm, we'll get to that. <laughs> so with the time of death, he had eaten a pasty. Which is, <laughs> you just think just, of the little nipple things. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to say pastry. It's the same thing. But Nips. He, <laughs> sorry sorry to a, my dad. <laughs> he had eaten a pastry the day he died, about three to four hours before he died, based on like his stomach contents yeah. and stuff. And I'm going to be real. That makes me question the time of death. That they said. Because people saw him laying on the beach at 7 p.m. still alive. Mm -hmm. But then they thought that he died at 2 a.m. Yeah. And they said it was three to four hours. Like, I don't think that he got up at nine and decided he wanted to go get a pastry. Yeah. and, And came back to the same exact spot and then died you know yeah that's confusing so either i think he had one on him i don't think he just had (laughs) one in his pocket i don't know guys carry a lot of weird stuff i doubt that he just had one on him (laughs) and i also doubt if he was unable to even like really raise his arm that he was had enough strength to like pull (laughs) pull a pastry out of his pocket (laughs) pull a pasty out of his pocket So, I don't know. I don't know if that means, you know, maybe he died more around midnight. I don't know. I have literally no background. I'm just okay. trying to do some math. So Maybe don't think too much about it. Listen. <laughs> That's what they want I you to do. I personally am going to solve this case. Good luck with that. So, the man was wearing a white shirt, a red, white, and blue tie, brown pants, socks, and shoes, a brown knitted pullover, and a gray and brown double-breasted jacket. Um, that is a fit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fit. And also, maybe it's just me, but that's a lot of clothes to wear. To the beach? To the beach. At summertime. Yeah. I literally looked it up. And usually Adelaide in November is anywhere from like 60 to 74 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, I guess at night, that would probably be like at night it too would be much fine, I but guess. she was at he was out there at night right yeah i mean like 7 p.m yeah but still yeah it's still, that's a, lot still a loss some people wear a lot of clothes all the time though mm-hmm. i don't know so i just think it's interesting hmm. so then they investigated the personal belongings that the man had on his person in his pockets he had an unused train ticket from adelaide to henley beach a bus ticket from adelaide to the beach which may or may not have been used, question mark. The train ticket was not used. Okay. Um, a pack of gum, some matches, two metal combs, and a pack of cigarettes. And the pack of cigarettes had a different kind inside the pack than then was the, the label. brand. Mm. Yeah. And I, mean, I mean, I don't, I don't smoke, so I don't know if that's recycle. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they gave him just loose <laughs> cigarettes. Maybe he just had them lying around, and the box got ruined. Well, so the brand of cigarettes was fancier than the brand of the box. Hmm. So I'm like, I don't know. He could have stolen them from someone. Yeah, like maybe he had a reason to like hide them for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. didn't want someone else to steal them. I don't he know. said. 
<laughs> I don't want anyone to try a bum cigarette. I'm going to use these nasty ones yeah. that no one wants or something. Smart I, guy. I have no idea. I'm just kidding. I don't smoke yet again. <laughs> Two episodes in a row. <laughs> we really want people to know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he had no wallet, no cash, and no form of ID. And I find it interesting that he had like the tickets and no form of ID. Yeah. I don't know if you were able to get those tickets without an ID. You might have been able to. You probably were. This was before 9-11. So a lot of security in yeah. a lot of places wasn't yeah. super intense. But also... Just the idea of like loose tickets and stuff and all of this just in your pockets. Men. No wallet. Men. Men do that. I know. Nick Miller. (laughs) A plastic bag. (laughs) Yeah. And I guarantee he just has random crap in his pockets. I know. But I'm just like, I think it's strange for me for this man who is so immaculately dressed. Yeah. To not have... The tickets organized. There's always something. Men are not (laughs) men are not rational. Is what we're learning. So his fingerprints were not in any database. No one ever came forward to identify him, and his teeth were never matched to any dental records. Hmm. Never went to the dentist. But he also was missing teeth. And I don't know they if they got pulled. I mean, they could have fallen out, but I don't know. So the man's clothes were well pressed, but all of the tags from the clothes had been removed. One of the pockets in his pants had been repaired with orange thread, mm. which is just interesting. Ugh. Why orange? <laughs> Katie hates the color orange. Yeah, I did not enjoy it. Um, and the stitching in it was neat. But it's still like, why orange? Your pants are brown. Yeah, and everything else was like red, white, and blue, right? His tie, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it was like inside the pocket. You couldn't see it or something, but... I mean, maybe he just only had orange thread. So by the 10th of December, the body was embalmed to preserve it for further investigation. Okay. Unfortunately, the embalming process destroys DNA... Oh, yeah. And so that probably could have hindered any DNA that they might have been able to get later. Yeah. But they do still have a few strands of his hair because in June, they made a plaster cast of his body. Oh, and I got And like stuck. his face. And it, I think it was like stuck in it because they nice. didn't know that they had hair until like later. Gotcha. So they've That's got a little lucky. bit of hair. There's only so much testing, though, that you can do with a little bit of hair. Exactly. Um... Also, I just wanted to note that like so many people are involved in this case for a really long time that they got really emotionally attached to the Summerton man. And they're like, we need to give him a nickname. So they called him Jerry. Oh, that makes sense. Jerry. I just think of Jerry from Superstore. (laughs) Sandra's husband. Jerry. He was kind of a lost cause. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But he had two women fighting over him. Granted, one of them was insane, but... (laughs) Anyways, maybe that's this Jerry's story. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I actually don't don't think so. But (laughs) so by January 11th, the South Australia police were running out of leads and they started checking hotels and railway stations for lost luggage because they're like, no one's come forward in Adelaide Mm -hmm. to say they know him. So like maybe he's from out of town. That makes sense. So on January 12th, they recovered a suitcase from the Adelaide railway station. It was brown, I think it was like a brown leather, and had been left in the station cloakroom around 11 a.m. on November 30th. This man loves brown. <laughs> he does love brown. <laughs> he has a lot of brown. Maybe he's colorblind. <laughs> Maybe he thinks it's green. <laughs> There's a lot of new girl references in this episode. I'm okay with it. The suitcase had no stickers or distinctive markings on it, and it contained the following. A spool of orange thread. Uh-huh. And it's like a very specific kind of wax thread. 
don't know what that is. I have no idea. But it was the same thread that was in the trousers that the man was wearing. Check. Check. (laughs) There were several pieces of clothing. Um, Some pants were, well, some pants, and they were all the same size as the size the man was wearing. (laughs) Um, And a few other things, like some slippers, I think, just like other clothing. All of the clothes had the tags removed. But... Three pieces of clothing had the name Keen written in it. K-E-A-N-E. Okay. Or sometimes it was written just K-E-A-N. Yeah. Okay. Um, And I think one of them was even like typed. Like it wasn't like handwritten, you know? It was like printed well, that's on something. Nice. Which is just very interesting. Yeah. Um, Police looked into the name. They couldn't find anything. And they believe that it was either left on those clothes intentionally to like basically distract the police and obscure the man's identity or that whoever left these things knew that it couldn't get traced back. Gotcha. Pretty much a dead end on Keen. Yeah. Keen. There was also in the suitcase a stencil kit that was typically used by merchant ships for stenciling cargo. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, there was a table knife. I don't know if that means like a like a steak knife or like a butter knife. I would think a but uh, my first thought was butter knife, but I don't know. I don't know what a table knife is. And then there was also a coat stitched using a stitch that was unknown at the time in Australia. Um, and the stitch work was likely American, suggesting that the wearer had recently been to the U.S. Hmm. So, table knife is butter knife. Okay. Got it. Interesting to have a butter knife. Just had a butter knife with him. He always might have toast. He had a pastry. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that far-fetched now. (laughs) But he didn't have a suitcase with him. He didn't have his knife. But he didn't need his knife for a pastry. A pasty. A pasty. Um, So obviously, they're like, hey, this is this man's suitcase. We found him. Pretty pretty definitively. Check, 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 We got his suitcase. Not that it gave us a lot, but we got a suitcase. Yep. So, based... That was at the bus stop or the the train train station? station. But she never used... So, he came into Adelaide on a train. Okay. But he had a ticket going out. And he had a ticket going out. Okay. And he didn't use that. Okay. But they think that he took a bus. So, it proves that he did come from somewhere. Yes. And was planning on leaving again. Maybe. Well, he had a ticket. Yeah. But I think the ticket, like the time had passed. I think the ticket uh, was for that afternoon. And uh, he didn't, didn't get on it. it. Gotcha. Um, based on when he would have arrived to the train station to like put his bag in the coat check or whatever, police speculated he had caught a train into Adelaide from Melbourne, Sydney, or Port Augusta. Sydney. Me. From me. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> but literally, that's like all over Australia. They're like, yeah. he could have come from anywhere, basically. You know, that makes sense. Trains come from many places. <laughs> so like, that's not helpful. No. I bet these were men. <laughs> yeah. It could have been my friend. He could have come from anywhere. Okay. Cool. Great job. Thank Excellent you for that information. <laughs> so, you know, all of that, the suitcase was... In January. January. Still by April. They don't really have much. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's been like six months now. I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at it and think that nothing else has really changed. (laughs) Well, we got more information now. Yeah. So in April, police brought in John Cleland. Cleland. Also, I think that one of his cousins was also involved somehow. I think maybe he was a detective. I tried to not put both of their names because I think I would have gotten too confused. confused. But John Cleland was a professor of pathology at the University of Adelaide, and they brought him in to re-examine the body as well as the suitcase and possessions. It was at this point 
that Cleland found a small pocket sewn into the waistband of the man's pants. The ones that he was wearing. Dun, dun, dun. And the pocket was probably intended originally to include like a watch, like a pocket watch. That makes sense. But everyone else who examined the body did not find it. Huh. So I'm like, I don't know if it was like. Maybe he got robbed. Sewed up. Like, I don't know why no oh, one they couldn't knew. find the pocket. Like, literally no one had found it in the, like six months. I mean, and it was in the waistband. I was going to say maybe just like people weren't really paying attention for that kind of thing. But if it's in the waistband, yeah, you would think they would. Like, I don't know. I mean, it was pretty hidden, clearly. But Hmm. I don't know. I think it wasn't like unique thing. I don't know what I'm trying to say. So other people have would do that kind of thing? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I get, I've found like differing sources on that where some people are like, this is a secret like thing secret compartment in his pants (laughs) this is normal and then some people were like nah it was just like a pocket watch little little pocket is it like in some women's leggings when they put a little pocket pocket, yeah (laughs) the waistband that maybe nothing can fit in literally like maybe like your house singular one key key. (laughs) so inside of this tiny little pocket cleland found a tiny scrap of paper rolled up super tightly And the paper and the pocket were so small that Cleland had to use tweezers to get it out. Hmm. So that makes me think that it was more of like a secret compartment. Yeah, if you can't get into it. But also it makes me think of those tiny little pocket and women's jeans that I can't like fit. Yeah, I can't get any. So I don't know. Yeah, he's a guy. His fingers are probably a bit. (laughs) He got more broad. Yeah, but because it was so hard to get out, to me that says that there was some reason for the paper to be hidden. On this paper, the words Tamim should were typed. And like I mentioned earlier. Was it typed like keen? Like No. Okay. It wasn't like typed in like the same machine? No. So I think the things with keen that it was like printed. I think it was like like a printed label kind of thing. Okay. Hmm. But this was like paper, like from a book. Okay. We'll get to it. Um, But like I said, a lot of sources write it as Tamin should, which is like a typo that one of the first sources that wrote about it put out. And then it Mm. just kept getting spread around and everyone thinks it's Tamin should and it's Tamum. Tamum. What does that mean? Do you know? It means it has ended. Mm. Like the Bible. It is finished. (laughs) And the way that they discovered what it meant is there was a police reporter for the Adelaide Advertiser newspaper, and this man, Frank Kennedy, recognized that the words were Persian. Hmm. I don't know how How would you recognize I don't know. I forgot that was language. <laughs> I know. Uh. Um, so he called the police and told them to look for a specific book of poetry called The Rubaiyat by Omar Khayyam. And first hearing this, you're like, what? <laughs> How did you know to find this it's, book of poetry? It sounds awfully suspicious. But apparently the book had become really popular in Australia during World War II. And it was like okay. a popular thing for people to give like as a gift. Like you would give like your friend or like your loved one this book of poetry. I would think my friend didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> they gave- so, I mean, it's not super unrealistic that he recognized it. But yeah, still kind of weird. Did everyone speak Persian? No. So <laughs> it was translated. It was the poems and stuff were in English, but it just had Tamam Shit at the end. Oh, okay. It always ended with Tamam Shit. Okay. It is over. It is finished. 
Or it has it, ended. It has ended. It basically means all the same. It yeah. just means the end, essentially. <laughs> and in the poetry book, it just signified the end of the book. But in terms of the Somerton man, people theorized that it meant the end of his, his life. life. Yeah. So. Is that, is Tamam should one word or? Two words. Two words. It's T-A-M-A-M space. Should, like how we spell S-H-U-D. should. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not only was the phrase typed on a piece of paper, but it was torn from a super specific edition of the Rubaiyat. Why would you rip a specific... Is it like a fancy version? I don't know if it's like a fancy. It was just like a specific translation kind of thing. Okay. How would they know that? (laughs) Maybe the type? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Anyways. I mean, spoiler alert, they later found the book that it was torn out of. Okay. 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 They know which version it was. People are really smart and really dumb, but yeah, clearly they are smarter than I am. So. so, because he found this scrap of paper, Cleland concluded that the Somerton man's death was, quote unquote, not natural. <laughs> okay. Like, I, yeah. I would if assume. If he was poisoned. And I like guess in theory it could have been natural because they didn't find traces of poison. They just assumed because of the manner of death that it was poison. Mm-hmm. And so like, it could have been natural, but, like, all the labels torn off his clothes and, like, you can't find out who he is. Like, all of yeah. that does not add up to being just, like, an accidental death kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, definitely suspicious. It's just weird. Back to the Rubaiyat. We are going to cut to a different man. So sometime around November 30th, this man, who is unnamed, just to protect his privacy, okay, found a copy of the Rubaiyat in the back of his car. And he didn't really think anything of it. But three months after the police found the Tamim Should paper, this man read about it in the newspaper. And three was months like, later? Yeah. Hmm. And was like, huh? <laughs> so he took his information to the police. Interesting. So he doesn't have an exact date because it's months later. But around November 30th, his car had been left at Somerton Beach with the windows down. And he had found this book just in the back of his car. Mm. And a section had been torn out of the last page of the book that exactly matched the paper found in the man's pocket. Are we sure this guy is not involved? I think so. I like, I don't even know who he is. Like he police haven't named him. Okay. So I'm assuming they cleared him somehow. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I mean, he could be involved. Yeah. But so they take this book that, which also I want to note the way that it's torn out is really weird. It's not like it's like, it's like torn out in the middle of the page. Oh, I hate that. Which I don't even know how they did it. Poke. Like you have to like poke a (laughs) hole and then like rip. It's just, I don't know. I don't like it. Fold it and then rip. Yeah. I don't know. So that was a stupid little side. I didn't. (laughs) So this is how how you rip rip a paper paper in the middle. (laughs) Not only was this the specific book that had the little piece torn out, but in the back of this book, there was what appeared to be a code. Hmm. And as far as I can find, I think that it was just like indented into the paper. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something had been written and then torn out or whatever. Yeah. And they were able to scribble over it and find what it said, I think. And it lasted that long, that indention? Interesting. It might actually be written, but I don't believe that they had, like, what was written. I think they had to, like, scribble kind of. Yeah. I could be wrong. Okay. But they found a code, and then they found a phone number. So we're going to start with the code. It was essentially just five lines of 
letters and it just looks like gibberish. Okay. Like it's all uppercase letters. Um, the second line of letters has been scratched out and it looks really similar to the fourth line. So people think that it was like a mistake and then they like scratched it out. And, like, oh yeah. Started okay. over. I have the letters written out, but there's no reason for me to no, read them. It's don't. just, it's, yeah. I'll post a picture of it. <laughs> Great. But I would not follow. No. <laughs> To this day, the code has not been cracked and they've like talked to like military like decoders and mm. stuff. Everyone says that it's basically uncrackable. Better than the Zodiac. Because it is so short mm. that yeah. there's like no way for them to find a pattern. And also people seem to think that it was probably like shorthand for something. Okay. So either it was like, I take the first letter of this word yeah. for each thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like shorthand for a poem or a verse or something. Interesting. And they can't find a match for it. Yeah. But also because it's so brief, they can't really mm-hmm. know. So it's very, very strange. One specific thought about the code is the rubaiyat follows a quatrain pattern of poetry which is four lines in a stanza and people think that because the second line was like scratched out and then rewritten kind Mm -hmm. of as the fourth line that it was supposed to be four lines and that it was like something out of the rubaiyat okay but i don't think they were able to find a match a match and also what is frustrating is i don't think they've been able to find another version of that specific translation Hmm. i think they've lost all the the world I think they've lost it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which sucks. Yeah. There's so. no other copy of that same version. I don't know. Not That's that they've insane. been able to find, but I'm sure that... Surprising like, since that book was so big in Australia at the time. <laughs> it's just... Weird. Yeah. It's very frustrating, but basically they don't know anything about this code. Like Drop I wish the that, ball. I wish that they could at least solve part of it, you know? Yeah. But they don't have just any Just make something up. <laughs> so then we get to... The phone number. Hello. Hello. I'm going to call it. So the phone number belonged to a woman named Jessica Joe Thompson. And I'm going to call her Joe Thompson for the rest of it because I think that's mostly what she went by. Okay. Um, she lived less than a quarter of a mile away, away from where the body was found. Okay. Um, Wait, where was this phone number on the... It was... Etched into it? Yes. Okay. It was the same... Sp- like page as the code okay um so police were like knock 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 hey uh what what's your phone number doing in this book yeah um so they asked her about the rubaiyat they were like do you know what it is have you ever owned one and she admitted to once owning a copy of the rubaiyat but she didn't have it anymore Mm -hmm. and she said she'd given it to a man named alfred boxel and initially they're like oh my gosh is this the guy is this the is this the man? But they tracked him down and he, he was, was still alive. alive. <laughs> and he still had that copy of the Rubaiyat that she had given to him. Okay. So also I watched a documentary and people were like, she sent police on a wild goose chase. She knew she that She just that. told them and what like, she knew. No, she's just answering a question. Yeah. They were doing their dude, like they were doing their job and chasing down a lead. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so then they ask her more questions about the Rubaiyat that they had found and about the Somerton man. And Joe said she did not know why he would have her number or why he would have been in the area of her house. Um, But she did report that in late 1948, an unidentified man had attempted to visit her and had been asking neighbors about her. Uh, Eek. 911. (laughs) Police then were like, hey... We're going to show you the cast. We're going to show you the dead body. Well, so the body had been buried by this point. Yeah. So they're showing her the cast That's of his face. That's just as terrifying. And 
Are you going to post a picture are you, of the face? I think so. I'm going to probably post it a few back. Yeah. So good. that like it doesn't just pop, pop up, up if you don't want to see it. I'll probably post it last. Okay. Um, It's not really that bad. Okay. It really doesn't. A dead man's face. Um, But when Joe Thompson saw the cast, not even the body, just the cast, mm-hmm. she reportedly looked like she was about to faint. She like took one look at it and would not look at it again. Nope. And they would like ask her questions. They're like, do you know this man? She's just like, nope, nope. Hmm. Like was acting pretty evasive and people were kind of suspicious of that. Yeah. Like on one hand, it's like, I wouldn't want to look at a cast of a dead body either, really. So Mm -hmm. I don't blame her. But it's like, that does seem kind of suspicious at the same time. And we'll get back. We will have much to say about Joe. Is this the short lady? Yes. Uh I was looking at a picture earlier and we were talking about it. So also, I want to note that Joe asked police to use a pseudonym for her, um, which ended up hurting the investigation a little bit at times. Um, but it was only after she died that they like released her real name, which is Joe. Okay. Um, but if you're ever like researching the case on your own and you see someone named Justin or Teresa, that's Joe. Hmm. And she had given herself the pseudonym of Justin because she signed that name in the copy of the Rubaiyat that she gave to Alfred Boxel. Interesting. So, I don't Why know. Why did she do that? I don't know. She I mean, like her name was person. Jessica. So like, yeah. Justin? I don't like know. Like, Justin? Like, it's J-E-S-T-Y-N. Hmm. Justin. Interesting name. I don't know. Now, we're going to cut back to the Somerton man, and I'm going to give you a few more specifics about him before I go into the theories and stuff. I found the pathologist's report, <laughs> and Katie knows that I'm so upset because I found it. And I closed out of it and I shouldn't have. And then I tried to click it again. And it was one of those sources that makes you pay if you try to look Uh, at something twice. And I'm not paying for it. That's okay. I took a few notes. Have some grace with yourself. (laughs) I'm just so mad. I don't want to pay $4 for it. No. But this pathologist report is so absurd. And it was written by Cleland, um, which to be fair, he's a professor like not like a detective but yeah. like it reads like someone who has no knowledge of anything <laughs> my favorite part about the pathologist report is that he compares everything to himself <laughs> so like when he's talking about how tall he is he'll be like he's a little bit taller than me <laughs> dude we don't know or how like, tall you are <laughs> he at one point was like uh this coat because could almost button on me or like he's a little bit slimmer than i am oh, gosh dude <laughs> like, we do not know your Cleland. measurements what and like there's there's like question marks written all over the whole thing and like oh uh, it's just so bizarre <laughs> like i said i would include screenshots of it but i can't so that's okay yeah basically it's just the most bizarre thing i've ever read The thread of his coat was said to be an American-style thread, like I said, Um, and investigators also thought that the Somerton man's hairstyle reflected American styles more so than British styles. Hmm. So, which, that was another thing that they wrote in question marks. I just remember he was writing, like, is this American? Question mark. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Um, The Somerton man's fingernails reflected that of someone who did not work in manual labor. Okay. The Somerton man was Caucasian, and Cleland felt the need to specify this by writing that he had a, quote, straight nose, not Jewish, (gasps) appearance not foreign. (laughs) Also, this man literally was just saying he's from the United States. That definitionally means that he is foreign, even if he is white. (laughs) (laughs) If you are white, you are never foreign to some 
mostly white men. I was just like, anyway, I just had to read that quote because I was like, that's stupid. I was like, I know it's 1948, but come on, come on, buddy. Just say that he's Caucasian. Like, just say that he's white. So the Summerton man also had some scar tissue on his arm that could indicate he'd received some sort of vaccine. Get your vaccines, guys. We're vaccinated. (laughs) Um, But this could not be conclusively determined. He had an enlarged spleen internal bleeding in his stomach and liver and there were no traces of poison like i said Hmm. but a professor sir cedric stanton hicks (laughs) suggested that he could have been subject to a unique kind of poison that would have basically like dissolved after he died and like they couldn't find a trace of it and it's very interesting because like he wouldn't name what poisons could do this when like when he was asked when people were asking about it because they're quote unquote too dangerous. But then like the coroner like later asked him like, hey man, off the record, like what is it? And he was like, digitalis. <laughs> like he like started naming them. So I don't know. It mm. could have been a poison that just like. Left the system. Left, left his system somehow. And some of that goes back to the time of death and that like his body would have like been slowing down a lot mm-hmm. more and it would have been just like a very prolonged yeah death if that makes sense so Mm -hmm. like from the time that he was seen by the second couple and wasn't moving he was just like slowly dying and like would not have moved anymore yeah also his big and little toes met in a wedge shape (laughs) like those of a dancer or someone who wore pointed shoes me it was me i'm kidding (laughs) you are the summerton man that is all i have on the Summerton man's body and everything that they found about him. He was buried on June 14th, 1949 in Adelaide's West Terrace Cemetery. And people from the city and stuff paid for the service so that he didn't have to have like a pauper's burial. That's nice. And his tombstone reads, here lies the unknown man who was found at Summerton Beach 1st of December, 1948. Hmm. And a few years after he was buried, flowers kept appearing on his grave but police like questioned a woman that they saw leaving and she was like i don't know anything and that's literally all i could find yeah on it. i feel like there are nice people that yeah used to do that so as far as we know it was just like people being kind yeah but who knows i mean if there are people willing to pay for his burial i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. people are willing to like they're like oh i have some extra flowers when i was going yeah. to see my grandma's grave like let me go put flowers on there mm-hmm. you know and so now we're gonna get into the theories good (laughs) and i'm gonna be honest forgive me if this gets weirdly confusing but the fun thing about this case is that all of the theories kind of loosely intertwine okay so i feel like i'm gonna be jumping all over the place but i tried to keep it kind of organized so the first theory is that the somerton man committed suicide and that the piece of paper that was found on him was kind of like his note yeah it's very hidden for a note it is very hidden for a note. Um, and one thing that kind of led people to believe in this was in 1945, so a few years prior, another man had committed suicide on an Australian beach and had a copy of the Rubaiyat with him. Interesting. And so they thought that was interesting. And the book had like a lot of poems about mortality and stuff. Like it was, And it was popular. Like, it was popular. It was philosophical. So mm-hmm. people thought that like maybe 
it was just like his way of leaving mm-hmm. a note kind of thing. Um, and they also likely thought that he would have ingested poison or something along those lines to kill himself. Yeah. Um, to me, there's no reason to rule it out. Yeah, but there's also but, weird stuff that doesn't 100% yeah. point to I that. think the only way I could see it would be together with one of these other theories that I'm about to talk about. Okay. So we'll come back to it a little bit. Okay. The second theory is that he was murdered by Russian spies. Mm. So he was found at the beginning of the Cold War. And just around this time, people were getting to be very, like, cautious of Russian spies. And, like, that was becoming a thing. Yeah. Yeah. In 1959, so like 11 years later, a man claimed that he had seen a man carrying another man on Somerton Beach on November 30th, 1948, like over his shoulder. (laughs) And like, I guess, Uh theoretically, like, I didn't say anything because I was scared or whatever. But like, people had seen this man lying on the beach alive. Yeah. And I doubt that like, even if you had, if even if they'd given him some like terrible poison, I doubt they would have left him alive. No, you know, they're not going to leave him alone there. So I don't know. But spies would explain the weird code. Um, But I mean, there's no evidence. I don't think a spy would leave the book anywhere that people Mm -hmm. could find in the area. That's true. That's a good point. They're too careful. They're too trained. Well, see, to me, that's why I could see the book being more something that the Somerton man did and that he was trying to like, maybe he for some reason thought that was a way to trace it back to either him or his killer. But he was trying, like he knew that he was going to be killed soon and was like trying to hide it, you know? Like, oh, they won't find it, but maybe the police will. Hmm. I have no idea. Yeah. But how long, like, was this man just in the area anticipating this? So he was like, let me put this piece of paper in my little tiny hidden (laughs) pocket and throw the book in someone's car this day. And then some random spy ends up carrying him in broad daylight, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. onto a beach. I don't know. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. It's so bizarre. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, Spies are too smart to do that kind of stuff, you know? I know. I, I don't think that's what happened. It's interesting, but they're too smart. That's how I feel. So to me, I think this theory has to hinge on the idea that the man was also a spy. Okay. Like. Still. <laughs> I Like, like for he's his definitely fingerprints sneaky. and dental records, for no one to recognize him. Yeah. Either he was also a spy and was hiding his identity for some reason. Yeah. Or he was far away from home, like that they took him far. Yeah. Or some people also suggested that he could have been a war criminal. Okay. Like a lot of people after World War II that were war war criminals would have like changed their names or tried to hide their identities yeah like okay. i don't and know maybe that's why that he was like joe on lady. the run for some reason yeah maybe that's why the joe lady was like too afraid to like say she knew who he was mm-hmm. or something so okay, okay. it's an option though ha- him being like that makes yeah makes that make a little more sense i don't know if i believe that someone saw him being carried onto the beach <laughs> yeah i also think that you could tie it to like the idea of him committing suicide that like maybe he was just a spy and he like wanted out yeah because i mean i don't know that kind of hides like eliminates the need for as much hiding 
like mm-hmm. the book would make a little more sense yeah. still doesn't make a ton of sense but yeah like the spy thing is definitely interesting i don't know if i'm sold on it but it's definitely i don't know well we're gonna keep talking about the spy angle why, I got would more. He, why would he have drawn attention to himself by raising his arm then if he just wanted to die well maybe he wasn't trying to like draw attention to himself maybe he was trying to smoke a cig like a last yeah. cigarette or something because yeah. that's what they thought was that yeah. maybe he was trying to smoke a cigarette or i don't know your body does weird things yeah <laughs> hello okay i don't know it's all so bizarre yeah so still on the spy angle alfred boxel the man that joe had given the book to mm-hmm. uh reportedly worked in intelligence during and immediately after world war ii okay And people think that maybe he spoke to Joe Thompson and shared information with her, which leads us to an interesting point and that people theorized that Joe Thompson poisoned him was a spy. Mm. Also that that's also there's a lot of theories about Joe. Yeah. uh, Joe's own daughter, Kate, believed that Joe was a spy. (laughs) And she said this because Kate said that she would hear her mother talking in Russian in hushed (laughs) tones over the phone. And that Joe was also teaching English to Russian immigrants. Can I just say, these spies, if they're all spies, they're They're not very good. (laughs) Like, your kid thinks that you're one, and then when the police question you about another spy, you're like, nope, nope, nope. I'm all weird. Like, (laughs) seriously. But, um... Kate's like, I don't know where my mom learned Russian. (laughs) She's like, I don't know. Can you imagine if your mom just suddenly knew Russian? I don't know what I would do. (laughs) Joe, people also suspect Joe because she spent a lot of time as a child with a family friend who was a communist. (laughs) And so they thought she might have been influenced by that. And also Joe Thompson was a nurse and could have possibly had access to poisons. Yeah, and poison is usually a woman's choice of getting rid of somebody. So, all of this talk about Joe brings us to the sun theory, which kind of can tie into any other theory of how this man died, but I just think it's very fascinating. And it could give some lead to some motives. A year and a half before the Somerton man was found, Joe gave birth to a son named Robin. And Joe was not married at the time, but I do believe that she was in a serious relationship with who would later be her husband, George Thompson. And I don't think they were married at the time because he was still getting a divorce from his former wife. But even Joe's closest friends say they do not know who Robin's father was. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe supposedly even made comments like being thankful that George married her, even though she was pregnant. With someone else's baby. So the Summerton man was the yes. Father. There's a major theory that Robin was the son of the Summerton man. Does he look like the cast? So there's things. <laughs> so first, Robin grew up to be a professional ballet dancer. The toes. And the the Summerton man had very athletic features. He had very athletic like calves and stuff, mm-hmm. and his feet were Pointy. those of a dancer. Mm. Also, Robin and the Somerton man found on the beach both were missing their incisor teeth, which is something that is like genetically passed down. Interesting. It's like these teeth, like yeah. the pointy ones. Um, My so they're both teeth. missing those. And they also had a similar, very like kind of rare ear. Ear. Okay. Um, so they both had a large, there's like, you have two hollows in your ear. And usually the bottom one is bigger, but both of them had a bigger upper hollow in their ear uh. than 
lower hollow. That's very. It's hard to explain. I will post pictures. And people are just like, can I see your ear? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the only reason that we can compare pictures of Robin and the Summerton man Mm -hmm. is because Robin was a professional ballet dancer. Oh, yeah. And they had like pictures Pictures of him and stuff. Because I I think he's passed away now. I'm assuming if we're talking about him like this. But yeah. Um, the ear thing, <laughs> sidetrack, makes me think of The Imposter. Oh, yeah. It's, if you haven't seen The Imposter, go watch it. It's this document, or it's not really, it's kind of a documentary. It's also like acted out a little bit. It's a, I would say it's a, it's documentary. a documentary. But they also. I mean, the guy is in it. I know. In the family. But they also have, like, things are solved because of an ear. Dude, that. And I never no- knew. That guy looks nothing like what they. <laughs> no. But I never knew that ears were like. I would never think. So distinct. The only thing about ears that I will like maybe notice is are your lobes detached or yeah. attached? Like, so that's also another thing that is genetically passed down. Hmm. And the likelihood of Robin and the Summerton man. I almost said Robin Hood. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> the likelihood of Robin and the Summerton man having these, both of these features coincidentally is somewhere between one in 10 to 20 million. <laughs> yeah, so it's that's very weird. unlikely that it would be a coincidence. Those two things, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could get behind so, this part. The Summerton man being Robin's father would explain Joe almost fainting when seeing yeah. the cast. Yeah. And it also could explain the man that was like going to her neighbors and like trying to find her. Yeah. Um, I can get behind this one. Yes. So there's different theories that go along with it. Some people believe that Joe was like a jilted ex and that she just killed him, mm-hmm. you know, for some reason. I don't think she seems like someone that killed him if, I don't know. But maybe. I, like, I could see that, but I also don't believe that her reaction would be that visceral. Yeah. To she would hide him. it more. Yeah. yeah. I think she would A, be able to hide it more and B, she would she's be already seen his it. body. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that that's interesting but i don't necessarily believe that she killed him yeah um some people believe it goes back to the spy theory and mm-hmm. that they were both spies and that like she couldn't identify him without like blowing their cover yeah well she didn't do a great job of hiding yeah that either so um so yeah i don't really know where joe fits in but i definitely do believe that she fits in oh yeah definitely i mean she be her fits baby in daddy. somehow definitely <laughs> And I do believe that Robin might be the Summerton man's son. son. Yeah. Um, and also... Which means time. she knows. Oh, yeah. So it's just like... Or she did know. She knew. She's probably did. She is. Yeah. She passed away in 2007. She died but, like, knowing. I mean, she was connected in some way. She yeah. had to be with her phone she, number and living yeah. right there and all of she it. She died knowing who this person actually was and didn't tell anyone. Yeah. That's so annoying. Um, but fun fact, the man who started researching this theory about Robin being the Summerton man's mm-hmm. son, he was a professor named Derek Abbott, and he later met Rachel Egan, who was Robin's daughter, hmm. and they got married. Aw. I know. He got really into his research. <laughs> he did. Um, and both of them do believe that the Summerton man is her grandfather and their children's great grandfather. Oh, um, maybe they put flowers at his grave. Maybe. Um, so as of April 24th, 2021, um, they are supposedly planning on exhuming the Summerton man's body to attempt to do DNA gene, genealogical matches. 
Okay. That said, Within when I was embalmed. researching, I saw so many things. Like every two years, they'd be like, we're going to exhume his body. And <laughs> never happened. Body, and it hasn't happened. Oh, okay. So I will we'll be watching to see if it happens. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, but also, I'm curious to see what happens with the DNA because he was embalmed. And yeah, he's also been dead for A like 70 time. years. Yeah. So... I don't know. I hope that they find something. It would be great if they could just DNA match, find out he's Robin's dad. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they but. don't know his, they won't know his name. Well, so that is the case of the Summerton man. Interesting. I know. I'm very glad I covered it now. Yeah. Thanks, Callista, for the recommendation. Shout out. It was a good one, Callista. Well, um, am I doing another? Sure. Uh, if you missed out on last week, I keep a list of my phone. Of things. Of my phone. On my phone. Oh, I thought you said of my phone. (laughs) I keep a list on my phone of things that Katie says that are stupid and or funny. (laughs) My headphones are falling (laughs) off my head. And um, they're going to be our um, palate cleansers. I'm trying to find one. (laughs) I picked out the last ones ahead of time. I I thought I was ready, but... (laughs) Pick one or six. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know six okay <laughs> this is a quote from our resident host katie not all milk lovers are racist <laughs> but all racists love milk <laughs> you're gonna look at me and tell me that i'm wrong am i wrong <laughs> and none of these are gonna come with context i mean i guess you gave context is there to context <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, there was. You said it in conversation, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've said all of these, like, right before bed. I'm pretty sure I walk back it's into the living night, room yeah. and I say something when I can't see because I took out my contacts and then I go to bed. So, if you wondered what life in our apartment is like, there's a little sprinkle for you. <laughs> um, hold on to that for the next week. <laughs> and that's going to tide you over. <laughs> Just think about it. Really Just think really about it. Dig on it. What, what is this? Um, the audio vibe with it? Yeah. <laughs> really, really, really dig on it. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, you should follow us. Uh, follow us on Instagram at something sick podcast or on Twitter at a sick podcast or and or on TikTok at something sick podcast or shoot us an email at something sick podcast at gmail.com. And if you have any case recommendations, Heck send yeah. them our way. Send them this your is way. fun. You're going to get a dedicated episode. Yeah. We'll say your name. <laughs> That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyways. Till next time, homies. Peace out. Peace out.